The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. Okay, let's begin our exploration today with the phrase, the children of Abraham. So, who are the children of Abraham? God gives him the name Abraham, the Torah says, because he, Avraham, will become of Hamon Goyim, that is, the father of many nations. But which nations exactly? We Jews are used to talking about our father Abraham, and that makes us the children of Abraham. But then sometimes you hear people talk about the Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and saying that we are all the children of Abraham. And usually the phrase is, is used there in an attempt to encourage unity between these three major religions that are so often at odds with one another. As if to say, remember, you're related, you all come from Abraham. And that's true on some level. All three of these faith traditions do recognize Abraham as their ancestor. But today I want to follow a line of interpretation that suggests that Abraham's legacy was much greater and that his influence spread far wider than we usually imagine. And in particular, that it spread eastward. Okay. Let's begin, then, with a simple question. How many children did Abraham have? Now, that's meant as a kind of a trick question, because if you know the famous stories of Abraham's life, you'll probably answer that he had two, Ishmael and Isaac. That's what I would usually answer if I didn't stop to think about it. But the truth is, in this week's Parsha, towards the end, we suddenly discovered that there were a bunch more. The Parsha is called Chai Sarah, which means the life of Sarah, because Abraham's wife Sarah dies at the beginning, and he spends most of the Parsha taking care of family affairs, burying and mourning his wife, and then looking for a suitable wife for his son. And then at the very end, when it seems like everything has been taken care of, we read that Abraham took a second wife, whose name was Keturah, and then they had six kids. Zimran, Yokshan, Medan, Midian, Yishbak, and Shuach. Six more kids. Abraham, the founder of our faith, maybe the founder of what's, what's sometimes called Western religion, had not two, but eight children. And if we think of Isaac as continuing the line through which Judaism and then Christianity goes, and Ishmael as the line through which Islam goes, so... Whatever happened to the rest of those kids? Whatever happened to Yokshan? Okay, well, the Torah actually says a little bit what happened in Genesis chapter 25, 
verse 6. Natan Avraham Matanot. Abraham gave them gifts. Vaishalchem me'al Yitzchak bano, and he sent them away from his son Isaac, Kedma el Eretz Kedem, eastward, to the land of the east. Eastward. Very strange. The, the whole verse is a little vague. Okay, so the first question is, he sent them to the land of the east. Where, where is that exactly? But we'll get back to that question. The second question is, what are these gifts he gave them? So the commentators try to figure this out. And some of them say, oh, you know, it was money, wealth, resources, the obvious things a father would give his children. But other interpreters figure, wait a second, this is Abraham we're talking about. He was a spiritual master. If he sent his children away with gifts, they must have been spiritual gifts. The Talmud speculates, rather cryptically, that what he passed on to them were secret names of God they could use. But things start to get really interesting in the Zohar. Now, the Zohar is the primary mystical text of Judaism, one of the central works of what we now call Kabbalah. Its origins are debated. It presents itself as an ancient rabbinic text, but it was published for the first time in medieval Spain. And it follows the cycle of Torah reading that we're following. So its teachings, though they can be quite esoteric and fantastic, are always at least loosely based on the text of the Torah. And here, the text that the Zohar is jumping off from is the verse we were just looking at, the one that talks about the gifts that Abraham gave to the children he sent east. So the Zohar says, Rabbi Abba said, One day I came upon a town that belonged to the children of the east, B'nai Kedem, and they shared with me some of the wisdom they knew from the days of old. They had books of wisdom and they gave me one. Then the Zohar goes on to describe what kind of wisdom was in these books. And it's complicated stuff, but it's, it's about how with the right intention, you can draw a Holy Spirit down from up above and then attach yourself to it. But you have to be careful because you can also bring down a spirit from the other side, the Sitra Achra. This is the Zohar's phrase for evil forces, dark magic from the other side. And it seems like, according to this Rabbi Abba, the children of the East knew how to do this stuff. For the children of the East were wise, he says, and they had inherited their wisdom from Abraham. He even says what was in their books was very close to the words of the Torah. Krivada la milindoraita. Now, that's a wild thing for a Jewish source to say. And somewhere in the East, there are these wise people who have some spiritual knowledge that's very similar to our own. And that's because their ancestors, these children of the East, were also children of Abraham, just like us. Okay, that's wild, but here's where things get even wilder. Because when I was a young man in yeshiva, I was studying at what was, a, I think you could say, a pretty fundamentalist place. And one of the fundamentals was that the Torah was the ultimate source of all wisdom. Okay, so then you, you have a question. What do you do with all the other spiritual traditions that seem to have something powerful going on, all the other religions in the world. 
Do you just discount them all? Say there's only one religion with any truth in it? Well, that's certainly one approach, one taken by fundamentalists everywhere. But I remember occasionally hearing this other idea that, yes, there, there is deep wisdom in the religions of the East, religions like Hinduism and Buddhism and Taoism. There is wisdom in those traditions and, and that this could be explained using this verse. Abraham gave gifts to the children of the East. It was always connected to this verse, this idea. But that's so vague, gifts to children of the East. So then later, I found this story in the Zohar, and I thought, oh, that's where the idea comes from, that somehow what Abraham transmitted to his children and sent eastward were the seeds of what would grow into these great spiritual traditions that anyone would have to admit have great wisdom in them. And that's okay, even for a fundamentalist, because originally they all come from Abraham. But again, this is such a vague connection, just one rabbi telling a story of these mysterious children of the East and their, their work summoning spirits from above. How do we get from there to suggesting the origins of, of Hinduism, for example? Where does that idea come from, I wondered. Well, I went looking around, and here I have to thank Professor Richard Marks of Washington and Lee University for an article of his I found online that pointed me to a 17th century Portuguese rabbi I'd never heard of named Menashe Ben Yisrael, uh, the man who, it turns out, founded the first Hebrew printing press in Amsterdam. And it seems that his book, Nishmat Chaim, is the first Jewish source to take the vague theories of Abraham's gifts and try to make a claim connecting them to existing religious traditions. And in particular, he's really interested in finding some Jewish justification for belief in the concept of reincarnation, what he calls emunat gilgul. So he says that, yes, Abraham knew about reincarnation and the, the transmigration of souls, movement of souls from from one body to another, that he learned all about these things during his sojourn in Egypt, and that he sent this knowledge off with his children to the land of the East. And then this source is the first to identify that land of the East with a place. Eretz Kedem, the land of the East, he says, Shehi Hodu, which is India. And then from there, he says, they spread this knowledge outward. The land of India and the doctrine of reincarnation. Clearly, he's, he's talking about Hinduism, or at least his knowledge of it. And he's saying that, in a sense, Abraham was the founder of Hinduism. And then he tries to prove it with a linguistic connection that, that I have to say really made me smile. And again, I, I think I'd heard someone say something like this back in my yeshiva days, but I'd never seen it in print. He says, For behold, you can see that those Abrahamites, Abrahaminim in Hebrew, today are known as Brahaminim, Brahmins in Hebrew. Now, if this were true, it would certainly be a remarkable connection because the Brahmin class in Hinduism were scholars and priests who were responsible for preserving and teaching sacred traditions across the generations. So it would make sense in the logic of the, the Genesis legend that these were the children, the Abrahamites, that Abraham sent eastward with spiritual knowledge to pass on to their children. 
Now, am I saying that this is true, that Judaism and Hinduism actually come from the same source? No. I'm not even sure that's a kosher move. Hinduism is a venerable spiritual tradition that pretty clearly developed independently of Judaism. There are some striking similarities, but there are also some profound theological differences, and it would be a disservice to the richness of both traditions to just ignore those differences and imagine they all come from the same basic proto-religion. So then, what's the point of making this connection? What, what purpose does it serve? Well, there is, of course, as we've said, the, the fundamentalist's answer. And it's a sort of triumphalist answer to show that, that all wisdom comes from Judaism. Abraham didn't just start one or two or three spiritual traditions. He started them all. And if you come across any spiritual insights out there in the great wide world, you can be sure we came up with them first. That's the fundamentalist answer. But I see something else going on here with Rabbi Abba in the Zohar and with Rabbi Menashe ben Yisrael in, in his book. I, I see Jews venturing out into that great wide world, encountering other faith traditions and spiritual practices, and being impressed. Here we have these people who are so steeped in Torah and mitzvot, so aware of the power and wisdom in their own tradition, suddenly learning about other religious concepts and practices like reincarnation or meditation or yoga, and feeling some of that same power and wisdom coursing through these other traditions and feeling like, wow, this is true as well. These, these people have some connection to the ultimate truth also. It must be, they concluded, if we all have some access to that ultimate truth, it must be that all these traditions come from the same source. The world and its many nations aren't just made up of us and them. No, they thought it must be, on some level, that we're all kindred spirits, because we're all the children of Abraham. That's a reading of these sources that I prefer, anyway, one that encourages not superiority and self-righteousness, but curiosity, admiration, and mutual respect. But also, I must say, for me, as a lover of the discourse of Torah in all of its sprawling explorations, discovering these kinds of unexpected connections, even if they're just attempts at making a connection, is a wonderful reminder of just how vast and far-reaching this enterprise can be. A reminder that if I study the Torah deeply enough, with an open mind and a little creative wordplay, it can take me anywhere. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitrouli by Hillel Tigue. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already? If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week.